Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to A Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins. I'm so happy to have you join us tonight. Um, This show is presented by Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience. With nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs, and mobile and online banking services, you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. We're very grateful for our sponsors. We're going to talk about them throughout the show, but we want to thank Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. Um, so I'm very excited about our show tonight. Just see, we're going to tell some more uh, wow stories. What or why is what that stands for. Just some interesting sports stories. Maybe some are funny, some are inspiring. So we're going to tell some of those, and then we're going to get to catch up with Coach Jeff Rogers is going to be here. He was inducted into the Springfield Area Sports Hall of Fame last night. Congratulations to all the inductees. It was a a wonderful evening, and we're going to catch up with Coach Jeff Rogers and talk about his coaching career, and we're going to pick his brain a little bit. Um, Last week, we had Coach Thomas Brock and Coach James Arnold, the men's and women's basketball coaches from Columbia University, and we had a wonderful time. Uh, catching up with them, hearing about all the great things that they are doing, but getting their perspective uh, from the college game um, in basketball. So that was a, a, a tremendous uh, interview. I really enjoy sitting down and talking with those guys. And if you want to listen to that episode, which I think you do, go to the website at coachesperspective.com and listen to it under previous shows. Um, you can also go find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, and Helium Satellite Radio. All right, so I got to have some help. I got to tell the story to someone. So again, I am going to call on our studio producer Logan Weber to to help me. I'm going to tell you some, some more stories. I'm looking forward to it. The right. stories last week were great. <laughs> we got, we need like some s'mores and you know a little campfire. There you go. Now a you're picture, talking. A picture of a campfire. Yeah, you know? picture of it. Yeah, don't don't go scary stories on me. I'm not right. I'm not a big scary story <laughs> yeah, guy. This yes. is hey, Halloween's coming up, and I'm dreading every second of it. So let's let's keep <laughs> yeah. them lighthearted. Okay, so, sounds good. Sounds good. Well, this was, this one is kind of funny. This, uh, this sounds like something that, um, that, that, that my dad would do for sure. And I know there's a lot of people that will relate to this. Uh, there was a, a local dad, um, and he wanted uh, the kids in the neighborhood to be able to shoot some hoops, right? That's easy. Let's play some basketball, play some pickup games. Um, so he wanted to do it, um, safely. So they, he wanted to, um, put up a goal, and he did, on this dead end street. And it was, uh, near a fence that was bordering, um, this other neighborhood. And there was a man in the neighborhood on the other side of the fence that reported the basketball goal because it was against the regulations of that neighborhood. He wanted the police to take it down. Um, so there was a little bit of pressure, right? So, uh, boo to that guy. <laughs> All right. But this dad was very creative. There was nothing illegal, um, about parking a car on the street. And so he was very annoyed with this guy who was preventing his kids from playing basketball. So he bought a car for a few hundred dollars, had the shop down the road, weld the basketball hoop into the trunk of the car. Um, and there aren't any parking rules for that street, except that a vehicle can't remain in one place for more than 14 days. So every 14 days, the dad would move the car to the other side of the street as it barely it would barely run. So he would get it over to the other side of the street every two weeks. So many folks in the neighborhoods now, they, they, they shoot hoops nightly, and it's become kind of a neighborhood place to hang out. And the police have yet to um, do anything about it because they're not doing anything that violates 
the neighborhood rules. Man, that's that's using the full capabilities of the dad brain there. I love that. That's 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 the uh, the old uh, military moniker of the improvise, adapt, overcome philosophy, right. and implementing it for the good of your own kids. I love that. And I I, th- I think it would be um, you know I hope that that neighbor ended up seeing what a healthy thing this was for mm-hmm. neighborhood kids. You know, to come in and shoot some hoops and and enjoy themselves. And so good for him. He gets the he definitely gets a medal for being a cool sports dad. All right, so I'm going to I'm going to tell you another story. This is a story actually that my my grandparents used to tell. Um, they they lived um, when they lived in Bentonville. Um, my grandfather was good friends with Bear Bryant. You ever heard that name? I have heard that name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they were they were friends. They were both coaches. Um, and Coach Bryant came to visit them once in Bentonville, and he was talking about um, this story. And it, it was just one. Of, it's one of my one of my favorite stories. It's not necessarily an on the field story. So. Um, this is more off the field, but he was talking about, um, you know, he, he has spoken at hundreds of banquets and luncheon, luncheons. He has been a guest speaker so often and he started talking, um, and I'm going to read it in his voice as he Ooh. told the story. Well, I won't do an impression of him, but <laughs> <laughs> here is Bear Bryant telling this story about speaking at a banquet. I have heard my introduction so many times that I don't even really listen to them anymore. He described that um, humbly, and and he said he just kind of glosses over it and doesn't pay attention. He goes on to say, I don't think I've done half of what they say. Well, at this particular one, he said, I was really listening to it. I wasn't really listening to it, and I kind of leaned back in my chair, and I happened to look down, and I noticed my fly was open. I sat up, and I zipped up my fly, and I was uh, about to... um, tune in to see what was happening when I heard them call my name and everyone started clapping and I stood up. I had stood up rather quickly realizing that it was my cue, but I had accidentally zipped the tablecloth into my fly. Mm. So as he stood up, I had already taken a couple of steps and, and as, as, as I did, cups and saucers and silverware all started falling to the floor. Everyone was laughing and shocked and trying to help me. I gently unzipped and pulled the tablecloth out, and I looked out at everyone and realized that they were trying to help me pick everything up, but they were laughing so hard, and then it hit me. And they were probably also trying to figure out how in the world that tablecloth got there in the first place. <laughs> so I don't, that's one of those most embarrassing moment stories. You know, that's one of those things. I think that's one of some people's biggest fears is to like be embarrassed in public. And, you know, when you hear about a legend like Bear Bryant doing something to publicly embarrass himself makes you feel a little bit better. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> you're looking at a person that is in some ways what you could say better than you, but even he, you know, has a few mishaps here and there and makes Just, you feel a little bit better. It, it does. It does. It happens to the best. It of does. Us, yeah. It happens to the best of us. It does. Uh, well, I'll tell you, one of the um, other stories that I thought was kind of interesting that I found this week, um, and this was, you know, you, you, you find these great legendary coaches like Bear Bryant, right? And when they are speaking to you, you soak in the knowledge, right? You're listening to them. They've been through a lot. Um, there was a, a story, and this came from readersdigest.com. Yeah, I, I read, read Reader's Digest. <laughs> I like their stories. Um, it, and it's, it goes like this. My, my high school had a legendary basketball coach who retired just prior to my arrival. He still came in to give us kind of a pep talk before a big game against the best team in the state. 
And he told us, he said, you know what? Those boys pull up their britches on the, sa- the same way that you do. So inspired by his wisdom, we went out onto the court and we got beat like a drum. I saw the coach in the lobby after the game and he kind of smiled and he said, well, I, I probably should have told you all that their britches were a lot bigger and moved a lot faster than yours. <laughs> that's Bobby Hart out of Florida sent that story in. And I, I think that's something that's kind of, you know, you always want to try to give that inspiring, that David and Goliath speech and, you know, get out there and do everything that you can to win. But then, you know, sometimes they're stronger, bigger, faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I can speak from personal experience on that one. I remember... My senior year, we got all the way to the state quarterfinals in basketball, and we were going to play Barstow, which was a school out of Kansas City that featured three kids that played Division One basketball. One became the NCAA all-time leader in steals. Um, one played at Nebraska, and then later at Tulsa and Wake Forest. And then the third was Shea Rush, who was the son of Jerron Rush, who played at UCLA. Shea himself played at North Carolina. And... We watched some film on them, and we're like, this is not going to be good. But our coaches and everybody at school told us, like, come on, guys. You know, if you just play your best, you stand it, you, you've got a chance. And our coach kept telling us stories about the 85 Villanova team that oh, beat boy. Georgetown. Yes. And, uh, yeah, we, we went out there, and we came into the locker room at halftime, down 39-13. to 13, And uh coach looked at us and said, boys, I'm sorry. We ran into a buzzsaw. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Sometimes you just got to say, yeah, we're outmatched here. Yeah. We're just flat out beat. Call it what it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but keep playing hard. Yeah, keep, keep playing yeah, hard. Keep playing but sometimes hard. a spade is a spade. Right. And you just got to roll with the punches. Yeah, definitely. That is so true. That is so true. All right. Well, so we're going to continue story time with mm. Logan here in just a little bit. We're going to take a break here. I want to thank Great Southern Bank again for being our presenting sponsor. We're very grateful for them. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. All right, so in, in this segment, we, we're going to have another um, few wow stories, like what or why, and just sharing some little short stories. Um, some are funny, some are inspiring. We like to, you know, have some motivating ones as well. Um, so I am grateful that Logan Weber is is um, indulging me and letting me tell some stories. I'm here. I like them. <laughs> so this one is for all the youth parents out there that have coached and their, their kids are playing for the first time, and they're stepping out there. And, um, you know, this is a baseball story, um, a little league team. And, and this is something that I think a lot of people can relate to, you know, when they're first learning the game. Um, you know, you have to be very patient. You have to be very patient, and there's sometimes, uh, you know, it takes a while for them to, to grasp it. So um, this is from uh, Robert Drazel out of Pennsylvania. He says, I, I coached my son's little league team. We lost every game until the last game. In the final inning, we were in the field ahead by one with no outs and the bases loaded. The batter hit a line drive right to our third baseman. All right, this he's, <laughs> this was uh, one one of the girls that was on this little league baseball team stuck her glove out with one hand and covered her eyes with the other. So you can visualize that. I know if you've ever coached youth sports. The ball landed in her glove. She jumped up and down. And as she was jumping up and down, she stomped on third base to make the second out. Then she stuck out her glove to say, look, look, I caught the ball to show the coach. And as she stuck it out, she tagged the runner coming to third. 
So an unassisted triple play. <laughs> the team ran to the pitcher's mound in celebration as if it was the World Series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got no other words for that. That's right? a great story. I like that one. Yeah, I think, you know, that's just something right there. Like that motivation can carry you into, you know, just just something like that. They had this season where they didn't win a game, and then all of a sudden in the last game they have this unassisted triple play, whether it was by accident or not. How, I mean, how how motivating for them. Yeah, and that's just the kind of thing that a young kid just something like you said on accident completely inadvertent but that moment and that exhilaration that follows and you know how excited the coach and your parents are after the game those are the moments where you're like okay this is this is it like this is what I want to do I from here on out I'm we're playing baseball we're playing softball basketball whatever it is that's how you develop love for for sport or athletics in general right. is with moments like that it, that's such a great point. I really, I, I think that's such a great point because it's also the carrot that kind of gets kids um, going. I'm, you know, they they have all of these down moments, but then they have this huge triumphant moment, and it's all worth it. Oh yeah, that's 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 the fishing hook that gets you. <laughs> that's you, right. You hook, line, and sinker, and all of a sudden you're engulfed in sports like yes. we are, twenty four hours a day, seven <laughs> days a week. That's right. That's right. Um, I want to I want to talk a little bit about professional athletes. Um, I've got some stories on some professional athletes. You know, sometimes they. You know, there are times where, where they can be judged because they make so much money for what they do. And we could we could spend time, of course, you know, justifying or not justifying. But I want to tell a few stories about some professional athletes and what they've done with some of that money. Um, Rory um, McElroy, who uh, he, for the first time, the first time he won the Irish Open, I mean, this is his home course, right? This is his home course. And he um, hit two incredible shots in the final round to help capture him. It was a dramatic um, finish. Afterward, he said, like, I don't really get embarrassed, but I was very emotional. Um, I was, you know, kind of holding back the, the tears. And I think that that part is very touching. But in that moment, he chose to donate his entire tournament winnings, 750000 at that time, to his charity, the Rory Foundation, which aims to have a positive impact on the lives of children. Um, and I think that's pretty incredible that you can, you know, it means so much of you to win your home course and you're in a very emotional style, and then he turns around and says, "Donate all my winnings to the foundation." Yeah, that's that that's so cool, and you love to see that in sports. You know, with these athletes to go out and and like that example with Rory of he went out and he won that tournament. He played to the best of his ability, gave it all he had to go out and win that tournament, and the monetary value that comes with winning that tournament. But decided that. You know, in that moment, it needed to go to something greater than himself. And, and you see athletes do that so often nowadays. And it's one of the cooler things. I, I earlier today, um, it, they announced that, uh, Patrick and Brittany Mahomes had donated some like $1.5 million to the Boys and Girls Club. And, you know, they don't have to do that. These are people that, that play a sport for a living and earn. That's how they earn, you know, that's how they make their money. That's how they live. That's how they put food on the table. And, they get paid very handsomely for it, yes, but at the end of the day, that's still their money that they went out and earned. But they understand that, you know, putting that money somewhere else and putting it into the hands of people who need it is going to be a much greater gift to them than, than if they were to go out and buy something with it themselves. Yeah. And his emotions kind of capture that what, what sports really is about. I mean, I, I think if so, you know, if I want something, somebody was handing me a $750,000, I would cry too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> $750,000. But he wasn't crying because of the money. He wasn't emotional because of the money. He was emotional because of what it meant winning that tournament. And that is a priceless feeling yeah. and what sports can, can bring us. 
um, you know, a Washington Nationals, um, they, Bryce Harper, baseball, major league baseball player. Um, he also, um, has a little bit, there are some people that describe him as a polarizing figure in sports. I'm, you know, not that we want to debate that back and forth, but one of the things that I think is very impressive is that there was a story that was written about him saying the other side, the, you know, that you see from him. Um, according to, um, one of the articles in the Washington Post, Harper got off of a bus one time when he was at an away game and he had a glass full, glass jar full of money. He was walking around, um, on the streets. He found a homeless woman and handed, um, her that and, her face lit up. Um, he sat there and had conversation with her and talked with her, but he gave her this glass full of money. And then not long after that, he helped brighten the day um, for a young fan. Um, he caught, um, this fan caught a flying bat, um, courtesy of, you know, one of the catchers. And um, he was asked by security to return it. Like, you're not keeping that bat. We need it back. So he, he catches it. Well, Harper stops and goes over and gives him one of his game-ready bats mm. um, and says, here you go, and, you know, signs it and gives it to him. Just to be able to notice that, I mean, you could stay in the game and not even focus, and that's happening over on the side, but he, he pays attention. He sees what's ha- what's happening, and he goes over and, and gives him one of his bats. Yeah, and it's such a small thing in the grand scheme to, to somebody like a Bryce mm-hmm. Harper, you know, to walk up to this fan that he's never met, doesn't know their name, nothing – Nothing about these two have any kind of connection to each other whatsoever, other than the fact that they're at the same ballpark on the same day. But Bryce Harper with, you know, the the cognition to understand, if I just do something as small as giving this guy a bat, or this person a bat, it's not only going to make their day, it may make their week, it may make their month, it may make their year. You know, it's those small tiny little things that that all of us can do throughout the course of a day you know saying hi to somebody on the street having a small conversation with the barista at your starbucks or whatever can have a much greater impact than you could possibly imagine on an individual and and to see people in an instance like that like you said this guy's in the middle of playing a major league baseball game like he has much greater things that is probably among his focus at that given time he's getting ready to bat or back out into the field whatever it is and he took 10 seconds to go out there and give this guy a story that will last the rest of his life. Yeah. He will keep that bat forever, I'm sure. That is, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, other, you know, Serena Williams helped build um, an elementary school in Jamaica. I mean, that's pretty incredible. Um, one of the um, stories that I like a lot about Draymond Green is that he uh, uh, partnered um, with an organization in his town, and he provided Thanksgiving meals for families. Um, he made and distributed bag lunches, um, and he took them to children in a homeless shelter, and then he would grab the children and take them on a holiday shopping spree, which to me is pretty incredible in itself. So not I, he's not just writing a check. In mm-hmm. other words, he's in the trenches. Um, Serena Williams, you know, building this. Uh, she There's a lot of pictures of her actually building the elementary school, like literally with a hard hat and all. And so just being able, instead of writing a check, they're actually diving into it and making a difference with their actions too. Yeah, because, I mean, that's as big as writing the check could be. Because when, you know, when you see an athlete or a, a famous, you know, person in any kind of concept mm-hmm. go out and spend the money and put their name on something, yeah, that's one thing. But when an athlete or a, a celebrity of some kind goes out and they, you see them putting in the work, whether it's via social media or a news story, a TV story, and you see them out there in these communities. I can think back to, uh, 
when Marshawn Lynch was playing for the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks had played a Thanksgiving Day game that day. That night, he flew back to California to go into his community, Compton, California, where he's from. That night was giving out Thanksgiving turkeys. I mean, that's the kind of thing. It's it's a different mindset when you see a, a famous person, an athlete, a, a musician, an actress or actor go out and, yeah, they're putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. But when they're actually there, boots on the ground, interacting with these people, it not only, I think, generates a greater sense of respect for those individuals, but also a greater sense of giving because mm-hmm. it's one thing to have your name on it. But when people see you out there doing it, it may entice them to go out and get involved themselves, become a part of that organization because they know, okay, it isn't just the Marshawn Lynch Foundation. It's not just 15 in Mahomes, which, right. is, you know, Patrick Mahomes. They see Mahomes out there doing these things in public with the community, and it makes them want to get involved also. Yes, and you know they have to enjoy that aspect oh, yeah. of it. I almost feel sorry for the ones that just write a check and say, you know, there you go, I'm going to help me with my taxes. I mean, these these athletes, uh, they have to enjoy being able to get into the trenches mm-hmm. and be involved. And, um, and and I think that's really impressive, not just um, writing that check, but, yeah. but getting the work done. All right, uh, let's talk about Spencer Wilson. You know Spencer Wilson, right? No, you might not know Spencer Wilson. Spencer Wilson um, was a 17-year-old student basketball player, and um, he was played in one of the most important games of his life, quote-unquote, right? And this game, what his coach did is they always had a game that was called the dedication game. The dedication game, which coaches, this is a pretty amazing idea as a side note in this story. The dedication game was that each player dedicated the game to a special person in their life. So Spencer chose to dedicate the game to his friend Josh, who had lost his battle with cancer the previous year. Spencer and Josh had become close through experience um, of fighting cancer. Just three years prior, Spencer had been given just six months to live, and now he's a two-time cancer survivor. Spencer knew he had to put his heart and soul into the dedication game to honor his friend. The team that they were playing um, you know, was, was fast, was strong, was talented, um, but they were only trailing by a point with just seconds left on the clock. Spencer got the ball, and he launched it from half court. The shot banked in, giving his team the win. Spencer's youth sports story, I mean, this inspires everyone to play for someone, whether it's a friend or family member, a role model, channel that energy onto the court. Um, I think that, or the field, that is such a great idea to have a dedication game to honor someone and to mm-hmm. give players an inspiration to play for that night. Oh, that's, yeah, that's that's pretty remarkable. That one, I, I got chills a little bit from that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I have... And it's, you know, it's not the same story, but a similar situation with my little sister who, you know, this was over a decade ago now, had a brain tumor. And, you know, I was playing at the time junior high basketball. I was only in eighth grade, but, you know, had this one game the day that she had her brain surgery and, you know, told her that I was going to go out and play for her that day and, and whatever else. And went out, started the game, which I never did. Um, coach called the first play for me, which never happened. And, uh, the play was for me to shoot a three, which I had never done in a regulation basketball game before. A, a game where there was actually, you were keeping score, there was time on the clock, and there were officials. I had never made a three-pointer in that environment before. But first play of the game, it gets called for me. My sister's in a hospital, you know, fighting for her life and a brain surgery and throw up the shot and buried it. Corner three, made it. First three I'd ever made in a game in my life and 
in that instance, you know, I felt like I did right by her and at the same time felt like she was going to be okay. And now she's a 20 year old college student, a giant pain in my butt, but <laughs> yeah. that's the, that's the kind of stuff sports can do for you. And that's yes. a, that's a tremendous story. It just made me think of one that's, you know, a little bit similar in my own right. That is, that, that's a, that is a beautiful story. And I sure do appreciate uh, you sharing that with us tonight. Um, you know, there's uh, sports can do so much for us, and and we've talked a little bit too about you know the successes and the buzzer beaters and hitting that shot and and that ultimate high, if you will, or that rush. Um, but there are some youth coaches that also do some things really right. And this was a video that went actually viral for a while, um, but it's worth bringing up again. This was a youth coach, little league, talking, um, and he uh, they they had been undefeated the entire season. They ended up losing their last game by one run. So obviously the little tears, um, kids were upset. He said, hey, there is no disappointment in your effort. In the whole tournament, the whole season, it's been an incredible journey. The lessons that you guys have learned along the journey, you've, you will never forget. Um, he went on to say, it's okay to cry because we're not going to play baseball together anymore, but we are going to be friends forever. And I think this story, it's a great example of how youth coaches should portray sports, wins and losses, to celebrate those and then to have grace whenever you don't win. Um, but to be able to say we're friends forever or, you, or you've, we've made some memories for a lifetime, um, it really kind of captures uh, a, an underlying meaning of, of what we should be thinking about during youth sports. Oh, without question. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's definitely importance to youth sports and the fact that you're trying to help these kids get better, you know, you're trying to teach them the wins and losses and those sorts of things. You're always trying to win, you know, even at the youth level, but also very important. And that's what I love about that story is teaching, you know, those young kids that that's not all that it's about. You know, it's about going out and, and enjoying being around people that enjoy you, going out and playing with your friends and enjoying playing the game. You know, if, if, if it becomes not fun for you or you don't enjoy who you're playing with, then what's the purpose? It doesn't serve a purpose at that point. So, yeah, I think it's very, very, especially in this day and age when there's so much polarizing going on around youth sports in regards to coaches with their players, coaches with officials, parents with officials, to just understand that, yes, the wins and losses are important. Yes, getting better is important, but it's also about enjoying yourself and enjoying your teammates and your coaches and having creating great friendships that's maybe even more important at that age yeah pretty pretty incredible all right well there's story time with logan weber thank you for letting me share some of those and thank you for sharing your stories as well yeah, thanks for letting me be a part of it well and we also want to show some gratitude to highland dairy for sponsoring this segment along with greg and melinda burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio we'll be right back and we will have hall of famer coach Jeff Rogers, he is in the building. So we'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. I'm Jenny Hopkins, and uh, this segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. It's owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact. Scientific studies, professional dietitians, they all agree that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk, and Highland Dairy has the best-tasting chocolate. And they're a proud sponsor of A Coach's Perspective. 
Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar. They know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know how to keep their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They will take care of you. 417-326-7671. We also want to thank West Logging for sponsoring this segment. Go to westlogging.com. Contact Danny West for a free consultation. He will treat your land like his own. And we also want to show gratitude for Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance as well. I want to thank Logan Weber again for letting me have story time the first half of the show. We told some wow stories and um, sure do appreciate that. Um, But right now, whew. Dun, dun, dun. Cue the music. We've got a Hall of Famer, multi-Hall of Famer in the building, and we're very excited to welcome Coach Jeff Rogers. And the newest inductee of the Springfield Area Sports Hall of Fame as part of the class of 2023. Um, you know, at 22 years old, he's hired at Glendale High School to coach soccer. And, I mean, we're talking a 1,000 wins later. I could list all of the accolades, um, but I think one of the most important stats that's probably not in the books is that he's had over a million impactful moments with athletes, and that is what he is known for, is coaching those people and not just players. So welcome, Coach Rogers. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited, and it was a great night um, last night and your induction, and, and I really enjoyed uh, listening to your interview. Um, the Springfield Area Sports Hall of Fame moved to an interview style instead of speeches. Um, you did a great job with that. Um, just congratulations on, on another Hall of Fame. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, one of the things um, I didn't mention last night in, in just being coaches and a coach's mindset, um, the great coach Woodson has a saying, and, and I actually have it written down in a planner that I carry every day. Um, and, and it starts off by saying a good coach can change a game. And so I was honored uh, last night to be recognized as a good coach uh, but it's the it's the second part of that quote that has really been uh, my life's mission and passion, and I I hope to um, portray that when we talk about Glendale soccer. Uh, the full quote is: "A good coach can change a game. A great coach can change a life." Mm-hmm. And so that's really um, it's it's what I get out of bed every day. It's why I show up to fields um, because the relationships that we have with kids. It's those quick four years. Mm-hmm. But it's a lifetime, and uh, that's what I'm most proud of uh, about our program and, and hopefully what we're trying to do. Well, and I think you've been very successful at that um, because, yes, you do have a long list of accolades, um, but it is that impact you've had on a lot of your players. Um, um, first off, just just the most basic question, why soccer? What is it about that sport that you love so much? I grew up playing it. Um, so I went to a private school in South Florida, and uh, we were known for two things, soccer and basketball. And um, growing up in South Florida was kind of a melting pot of just different cultures. We would go to uh, parks and just play. And so we were young, we were in shape, and we would be out there playing against 40, 50-year-old guys. And they would take breaks and smoke cigarettes, and they still just ran past us. <laughs> and uh, But it was, it was so cultural, the love for the game. Uh, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Uh, was one of the original uh, MLS teams. And so in high school, that's what we did on Friday nights. We would go and watch um, high-level soccer and some of the great names uh, of players that would come to the U.S. Um, So for me, it was just, it was a game that I grew up playing, that I loved. Um, My senior year, we actually won the first state championship for our high school, and they've only won one since. 
Um, wow. So that's something we're proud of. A lot of the players that I grew up, uh, when I went to college, I ended up switching and playing lacrosse for three years. So once I came here, uh, it was nice to get back to the game. And they call it the beautiful game, uh, but it's something I love and, and just being around kids and sharing that joy. And you know, you, you started in 1988 at Glendale and you were an assistant for a couple of years and then in 1990 became the head coach. You've been there ever since. Um, and then, you know, you were coaching for six years and then they added girls. And so you've been coaching boys and girls. Tell me a little bit about what that experience was like when you first started coaching girls. Yeah, I mentioned that last night in my speech. Um, I grew up with all brothers <laughs> and my mom, uh, had two brothers and my dad came from all brothers. So uh, I walked down on a field, had 35 high school girls, and I was a fish out of water. Um, so I went home and I told my wife, I'm like, I, I don't think I can coach girls. <laughs> I, I don't, I can't figure them out. Um, and, but you never will. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Fully. you know, the unique <laughs> thing is, and I think in God's infinite wisdom, um, just a few months after uh, our first season, our daughter was born. So as I had to learn to become a dad to a little girl, um, it just translated into coaching. Um, and for me, um, you know, we'll finish our boys' season and I'll go into that girls' season. Uh, but being a part of, of a, a program, I, I have those kids where the brother played for me, now the sister. I'm, I'm well into second generation where mom and dad played for me, <laughs> yeah. and now I have the kids. So uh, I love it. It's it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And and I think, you know, I've coached both boys and I've coached girls, and I, I mean, there is so, there's a lot of joy in both of them. Yes, they are a little bit different. you got to have sometimes a different approach, um, but, but there's a lot of joy in coaching both of them. Absolutely. <laughs> so what, what is your, what's your secret to longevity? You know, you've been at Glendale your entire coaching career. Tell, what's the secret to that? You know, I, I do say this a lot. Um, I, I have a teaching cert. I just never used it. Right. Um, and so when I, uh, Dr. Matthews hired me and sent me to a place called Glendale, um, <laughs> at that time, I think there for every opening in Springfield Public Schools, there was a hundred applicants. And so, um, and the, the outlying areas were still small, which now they're huge. Right. All the, the Willards and the Republics and Ozarks and Nixes have, have just blown up. Um, but um, so then I just ran off and started doing other things. Um, but I know when I talk to a lot of my colleagues, I think being in the buildings every day, um, eight hours, nine hours with kids, and a lot of times they're, they're just wore out by the time they get to the field with their kids. Um, and for me, I'm looking forward to getting to the field, to being with them. Uh, so I think for me personally, I've, I can see that that's probably added to my longevity. Well, it, you got to change a little bit of that story because you say you never used your teaching education. I would say you use it every day. I mean, you are a teacher, right? Correct. Yes. 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 Uh, that is true. <laughs> I mean, because I think that's one of the best parts. I've asked some of your former players to describe you. Uh-huh. And no, no kidding. Almost every one of them said he's a teacher of the yeah. game. He's a, yeah. He is a teacher. He is... Um, he's a caring person. He's a father figure. He's yeah. someone I can count on. Um, and I, I think being uh, a coach that's known as a teacher uh, of a sport is is a high compliment. No, I appreciate that. Yeah, high compliment. Okay, so what, what what do you love about coaching kids? Like what are your moments of this is why I do this? 
Um, I think it's for us, we have such great traditions and it's, um, a good example. Last year, our, uh, goalkeeper broke our, uh, shutouts for a season. So that was set in 1991 by Josh Hay. He had 17 shutouts in 1991. And then in 2017, Gage Patterson tied him. So 17 shutouts at the level that we play at is hard to do. Um, and last year, one of our seniors, Colvin Sell, he not only passed them, um, but he ended the season with 20 shutouts. And the neat thing for me, when you talk about tradition and kids loving our program and and following and wanting to give back, uh, both Josh and Gage reached out to Cole to congratulate him on beating their record that stood for all those years. And uh, Gage's parents uh, showed up to one of the games and waited afterwards to congratulate Cole. So for me, I think it's that whole family aspect that um, no matter how far our players are removed from the program, uh, they still want to give back. They still want to um, postseason. My my phone will kind of blow up, you know, with a big win hearing from all the kids. <laughs> so I think we've. Uh, I'm proud that we've cre- kind of we've created that family culture. And um, our players want to give back and, and you know, acknowledge and, and just keep those traditions going. I, th- I think that just gives me chills because you have created such a culture there that that is something that they appreciate doing. And it, it means a lot for them to be able to come back and say, you know, you did it. You broke this. Um, that's really incredible. That's, a, that's part of the culture. It, really it is. is. And I, I think, you know, it's easy for me um, from a coaching standpoint because, um, we have such great traditions where kids want to leave their names in our uh, in our book, yes. and uh, we talk about that. And then we talk about our senior classes wanting to leave a legacy. Um, and so, in the in my tenure, I've only had six senior classes that haven't won a district championship, and that's phenomenal uh, when you think about it. Over um, my thirty three years as a head coach, that only six classes. And those games were down to golden goals or, or PK shootouts. And, and that doesn't mean that you're going to win every time in postseason. Um, but our kids take so much pride in how we prepare them for postseason. Um, and I've always told people, um, if you're going to be Glendale in postseason, then be proud of it because I think we're going to put out a good product, uh, when it counts. Right. Always, always. So let me ask you this. Um, you know, you're coaching athletes, how would you describe, and I want, you know, all those young athletes and parents of young athletes, get out your paper and pencil, how would you describe a successful athlete? What attributes do they have to have? Um, the big thing that we talk about with our kids is is their work ethic, but attitude, um, body language. I mean, there's so many of those little things that we try to instill in them um, and be in, I think we live in a culture right now where everything is about me um, we see that even at the college level now, there's there's collegiate athletes making more money than professional athletes with NIL contracts um, and endorsements and things like that. And so we want we want our kids to be humble. We want them to work hard. Um, and sometimes you just have to wait your turn. Mm-hmm. Um, and and what we look for is is that positive attitude. Are you sitting on the end of the bench with your you know arms folded, or are you in there cheering? I mentioned Cole Vincell, who scored twenty goal, or had twenty shutouts, 
for us last year. His junior year, I would get more compliments from uh, opposing fans. He would be standing up with his gloves on uh, as a goalie. So most goalies aren't going to put their glove on gloves on until they go onto the field. But he had this attitude that I'm ready if needed, and he was standing up cheering and, and encouraging his teammates. And that's the ideal player that you want on your, in your program. So he was setting a tone um, that was just it was contagious. Uh, the other thing I love is um, we'll, we'll be 10 minutes into a game, and I'll have kids get off the bench and start warming up. I didn't tell them to do that. But they're signaling to me, um, hey, coach, I'm ready. If you need me, I'm ready to get into this game and make a difference. And that tells me everything I need to know. Um, you know, because a lot of times as coaches, we'll look to a bench and say, hey, I need you to get ready. But when I have players that are taking that initiative and they're getting up, they're challenging me to say, hey, coach, I'm ready if you need me. And so for me, I think um, I'm a big attitude person. Um, and then... Uh, we really preach just having fun. Uh, so if our kids are out there having a good time, they make me look good. Because um, I think what we're seeing a lot at, at the youth sport levels and at the high school level is just a lot of screaming and dictating of what we want kids to do. Um, and I, I don't operate that way. In this setting right here, if I'm screaming at you, you need to say this and you need to do that, you can't function. Um, and so we really try to create... We, we we do a lot of pressure, uh, positive pressure on our kids, uh, but we want them to have fun. And if they're out there running around having fun, um, then then that translates into all those victories and a lot of those things I was rec- recognized for last night. I think it makes such a difference to be able to bring that element of fun. And, I mean, I really do. I mean, because, you know, your players always play hard. They're always going to hustle. They always have um, good attitudes. And part of that is that culture you've created but to um, to have that that attitude of guess this is also fun <laughs> we right. can enjoy it. Well, there was a statistic that I read not too long ago that um, at age twelve we're losing seventy percent of kids to organized sport, um, and so that's telling me that either we're putting them in a situation for failure. So it's either a negative environment, maybe from coaching, maybe from parents, too much expectations. But at age 12, if we have kids walking away from a game that they should love, it should be no matter what the sport is or multiple sports, um, we want them to be playing. Uh, that's one of the neat things about Lake St. Louis. Um, you could probably go up there and find a U60, an over, over men's 60 league. Right. Or, you know, And that was one of the things in South Florida. People play sports for the love of it. Yeah, isn't that nice? That is wonderful. Um, well, this went way too fast, Coach. Oh, we're already done. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Logan, can't we do something about that time? No, <laughs> Coach, I'm just kidding. I appreciate you being here. Please come back. Yes. Because um, I, I, I didn't even begin to pick your brain, and you have so much knowledge and wisdom. I would love for you to come back and, and let us continue Anytime. This. I appreciate it. Thank you. Coach Jeff Rogers, and congratulations. The, one of the newest members of the Springfield Area Sports Hall of Fame. So we're going to move into our post-game talk sponsored by Story Construction. You can go to Story, S-T-O-R-E-E dot com for more information. You've got to call Story Construction for your next project. And don't forget, you can go to acoachesperspective.com for show lineups and previous shows and information there. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Next week, we have some major 
boxers coming into town and coach Daryl Smitty is go Smith is going to be here. Smitty is everybody here in town knows him as, um, and, and he is going to tell us about an event he has coming up. He has 11 world champion boxers coming in town. 11. Absolutely incredible. All right. So moving into our post game talk. So we told some sports stories tonight. Um, we also profiled a hall of famer and his story through coaching. Um, here's your challenge this week. I want you to think of a time that you had your own story in sports. Think of a time that, um, that, that stuck with you. Maybe it was funny. Maybe it was inspiring. Maybe it had a lasting impression. Whatever it was, reminisce about it. Share it with others. Sports are the ultimate platform for life and how we get to grow and how we get to develop. We need to capture those and we need to find that um, the essence that it gives us. Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes it's easy. But it's always motivating to make sure that you're going in the right direction. So capture and embrace those moments and be grateful for all of the time that you have had in your sports and what sports have done for you and what sports have done in your life to help you go into the direction you are. So that's how champions do it. I'll remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human. Live your life like a champion. Live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been A Coach's Perspective.